show's going to be about today. Uh, Dave and I are going to talk about the Beatles offspring, Julian, Sean, Danny Harrison, and a few others, and, uh, and talk about their music and compare their music uh, <laughs> to, to each other and uh, their careers to each other. Yeah, it should be an interesting topic here. Uh, you may have heard some of these songs before. You probably haven't heard most of them before. Uh, and I think, you know, we want to start today, before we get into all these songs by the Beatle kids, the Beatle offspring, we want to ask this question, is it wise for a child to go into the same profession as their very, very, very famous father or mother? You can think about it through history in all sorts of different professions, and it works, and has, sometimes it hasn't worked, but in music particularly, that's a big question you come up with, and it, we can go all the way back to classical music, and uh, Johann Sebastian Bach had several sons uh, who were very successful musicians. Mozart's father was also successful, and then even all the way into the 20th century, you have people like Frank Sinatra, who had two kids. Uh, <laughs> Chris really likes Frank Sinatra Jr.'s music. And then, of course, I'm a huge fan of Nancy Sinatra with These Boots Are Made for Walking, which true, yeah. that was a pretty big hit. And other people like Frank Zappa had uh, you know, Dweezil Zappa, Bob Marley with Ziggy Marley. And I'm sure you have a few others, too. Yeah, um, the artist Tim Buckley. Oh, yeah. And yeah. his uh, uh, son, Jeff Buckley, who was uh, tremendous. And yeah. Unfortunately, both of them really should have followed in his father's uh, <laughs> uh, foot drag. Uh, footsteps and died young. Yeah. Um, Roseanne Cash, Johnny Cash's, um, June Carter Cash's uh, daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the other ones. Uh, uh, Lisa Marie Presley. Let's not oh, forget God. her story career. <laughs> sure, Lisa Marie, and then probably another famous one who's still active now is Bob Dylan's son Jacob, who plays in the Wallflowers. He's the lead singer of the Wallflowers, and. But that's that kind of raises the question. That's a really good example, isn't it? If you're thinking, like, all the people we've mentioned have really famous last names. But, like, for example, Jacob Dylan plays in a band called the Wallflowers. You wouldn't know it's him unless you knew anything about the band. So do you think that's yeah. better a better way to go about it? Or, I mean, are you cursed? Let me put it this way. Are you cursed by having the last name Lennon or Dylan or Zappa or Sinatra? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's what you do with it. I think we'll have a couple examples today of people who are kind of doing their own thing and, and, and just having their own career and really deserve their own career and have actually built something. We'll also have examples the other way. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then there's uh, uh, the case, too, of like uh, Rufus... Uh, oh, Wainwright yeah. and, and Martha Ray Wainwright, they they probably wouldn't have gotten into music had it not been for you know their their father Loudon uh, Wainwright. Uh, right. So they they you know and I'd say their careers probably be, both of their careers have probably surpassed his mm -hmm. uh, in in uh, you know stature. So I think uh, I think sometimes it's a good idea. <laughs> I think I think uh, sometimes. It's a, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes maybe it's a good idea to go a different route, too. We'll, we'll uh, talk about at least one person who hasn't followed in their uh, father's footsteps uh, at all. Yeah. Uh, and is uh, uh, very, very, very successful. So, uh, Well, we're going to talk about each of the Beatle music-producing music children in a more or less chronological order. And so we're going to start with the first Beatle child, who was Julian Lennon, 
who was born in 1963. He's now 49 years old and had quite a bit of success at certain times of his career and through really in the 80s was when he first came on the scene and it was his first album that uh, I know was extremely popular and I remember I, I, I think everybody who was a Beatle fan got it because we were really interested in the novelty of the fact that this was the first Beatle child who was putting out an album and what was it going to sound like John or what was it going to sound like and so his first album was called Velat and was released in 1984. Uh, it had a couple of big hits off it. We actually played one of them on a previous podcast. We played... <laughs> Did you get that? Did you figure it's out what a, tune that is? <laughs> it's uh, too, late, too Late for Goodbyes, which uh, actually was, uh, uh, I think, his biggest charting U.S. hit. Yeah. I think it, uh, it hit maybe number five on the charts. Um uh, great song. I, I love song, it. Yeah. I think it's a fantastic song. Yeah. The video's a little lame if you watch the video. So. <laughs> He's got a lot of and Just like every other 80s video is lame. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the other uh, uh, hit off of this one is, is Vlad. Yeah, the title song, which is a great song. Uh, and I think you, know, you and I probably would put it up there as probably his best song, actually. It's a piano ballad and... Pretty interesting lyrics. I, I'll never forget the one about sitting on a pebble by the river playing guitar. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not it's not going to be Bob Dylan lyrics here, but it's okay and has a good sound and and you can't escape hearing the John influence again. And I think you're you're going to talk about that a little bit later about how John's influence is always around Julian in some way or another, and I think it's it's on this song too, you can hear it. So why don't we play a little bit of Velat and then uh, go on from there. So here's uh, Velat from Julian's 1984 album. Sitting on the doorstep of the house again to Yeah, I think when we all heard that the first time, even though we were young or whatever, it, it kind of felt like we'd had these these hits from John just after he died, and then we had like one more little release from him a couple years later. Mm. And then when this came on, it was like, oh, we might get a great career from his son because it sounded this sounded. Yeah. Really? Just like if John was making a next album, it's, right. I mean, Velat was Velat and Too Late for Goodbyes. They were unique. They they sounded interested. That I mean, I made fun of it. I was like, <laughs> but 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 a lot of unique sounds in it. But it it also sounded kind of like '80s music. I mean, it was yeah. mixing that one. We heard a little, you know, it, it, you know, uh, uh, instrumentation that was uh, interesting and. Yeah. Uh, so, so it just felt like you know this is a blossoming of a great, potentially great career, and I think we all got really excited about it. Yeah, it was exciting too because if you, when you look at Beatle history, Julian was sort of the forgotten child because he was born when John was on tour with the Beatles. Just the Beatles are hitting their big stride here, and uh, he was married to Cynthia Lennon, and he was sort of you know wasn't really much of a father. I think Beatle fans probably always have a little soft spot for Julian. You feel sorry for him a little bit. Uh, now, that's not to say anything about his music, but I thought this was a very strong couple of songs for debut here. And yeah. Kind of put that in perspective. And uh, we're also going to mention each of the Beatle children. They actually have, almost all of them, I think, have played on their father's songs somewhere, or on their father's albums. And Julian made his musical debut on John's album Walls and Bridges, 
uh, playing drums on an old 50s song called Ya Ya. <laughs> not a very uh, sterling performance, but uh, anyway, so that was there. Anyway, so that was a big, big hit, and, and yeah, like you said, very promising. So then after that... After that... <laughs> <laughs> Did I After have to that, say that, I think what happened was uh, uh, that was Vlot was a hit in eighty late eighty four, and uh, Too Late for Goodbyes was a hit in eighty five, and then he, there were a couple other releases from Vlot that charted. So he was doing real well, and uh, <laughs> then he's like, "Oh, I got to get another album out there." So I feel like eighty six uh, came out this album, and it just by by. Um, all standards of anything that you could look at was uh, not very good <laughs> and was uh, uh, <sighs> classic 80s overproduction, uh-huh. keyboard sounds and tricks. Uh, there's yeah. a lousy bass uh, <laughs> uh, there, which I was making fun of, like, whoa, sounded bass. You know, you've got sax solos, you've got <laughs> very processed like, overproduced rock solos and I mean the only, the only slightly redeeming uh thing on the on the album is uh uh some of the uh guitar is not bad. Mm-hmm. So what we'll do is I'll play you <laughs> the beginning or just the beginning of the first song in the album called Stick Around, and it's about, it takes, each of these songs take about 20 seconds to get into, because uh, <laughs> they the, have all, all this keyboard, nonsense. Keyboard noodling. And... Yeah. Um, so it's 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 all, all of that, and then we'll talk about the lyric. Well, I don't want to get to the lyric yet. But let's hear a little bit of Stick Around, and then we'll talk about it. production right now with the, all that with the really amped up snare drum and the bass and the keyboard synths and everything like that just i don't know weak and the lyrics too but not too <laughs> not too powerful yeah. there there's a, a one more musical thing on the on the uh song let me tell you Oh. Which, by the way, that just uh, repeats the the uh, phrase "Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you" all, over and over. Oh. <laughs> uh, but it gets into this really particularly awful wah 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 sounding <laughs> keyboard towards the end. It's supposed to be like a cool solo. Yeah, it's just awful. It's like uh, you know, if Peter Frampton had died and gone to, <laughs> gone to hell. Um, <laughs> The other thing, there's two other songs on on this, uh, this and this will become a theme of uh, uh, Julian Lennon writing. Either there's something, uh, it's like a love thing, or it's like uh, some sort of like grand idea about um, uh, the the uh, meaning of life, society, or the meaning of life. There's a song on here called. Coward till the end? Question mark. Oh. <laughs> and you said you said earlier that it just sounds awful. It does sound awful. Uh, and then there's uh, another song. Uh, uh, I guess yeah. Uh, 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 there's yeah. Always think twice. Want your body? There's a song called Want Your Body. That also sounds really bad too. So this is just this is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I listened to all of them. Yeah, I, this, I have to give you credit. Chris deserves all kinds of credit for making it through the entire Julian Lennon catalog here, even <laughs> even the most recent <laughs> album too. 
But I think this was this probably the worst of the ones that this one, the secret value of daydreaming. I think it's the worst because he he it's like he fell into every um, trick of the eighties. He just it just seemed like he was. It seemed like oh, instead of being an artist who's gonna make his own way, he's just gonna yeah. go with what people want him to do. And in fact, the next album, mm-hmm. Mr. Jordan, I think. Maybe he responded to all of this criticism. Oh. Oh, I mean, there was a bit of criticism of like, oh, he just, he sounds so much like John, and he's yeah. trying to copy John. So, you haven't heard this uh, uh, no. track. Um, oh. This is Mr. Jordan, and I'm going to play it for you. It's called Now Now We're in Heaven. Now You're in Heaven. Okay. okay. Um. And I think this album overall is a little bit better, a little more interesting. But it's clear that he's trying to do something completely different. So, uh, in fact, maybe sound completely different. Like, oh. maybe not sound like himself at all. So here, here's a little bit of Now You're in Heaven. you but that uh, all i hear is david bowie on that song it sounds it, a lot like david bowie with that type of late 80s sound that he had and i know you're a big bowie fan I and mean, did you hear that too yeah i actually wrote bowie-esque vocally yeah it's as if he's trying to do, he's like okay i'm 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 tired of all this criticism i'm gonna i'm gonna do something different now it makes for a slightly better album but it it feels a little false too at the same time yeah yeah you know? Um, that, that doesn't, uh, it doesn't sound like John, uh, that song at all, to me. Yeah, if you listen to the... the I mean, that song is actually not bad. Mm-hmm. If it just came up in a rotation, you'd be like, oh, that's not a bad song. Um, uh, the rest of my album's not great, but at least it's a little more lively, a little more interesting. Peter Frampton plays on it. Aha! Our, our old our old pal, Peter Frampton. Yeah, the aforementioned Peter Frampton. And uh, what... Other note is this is kind of silly, but uh, um, uh, this uh, he started sort of a songwriting uh, partnership with a guy John McCurry. So a lot of these are credited to Lennon McCurry. Oh no! <laughs> so I think he was just trying to trick us. Yeah. Oh, I so. yeah, we I didn't look close enough. That's that's a Lennon McCarty song. It is kind of uh, close okay. there. Yeah. So that <laughs> wow, McCurry. So that was that was 1989. And yeah. Then didn't he sort of fall off the radar for a while after that? Um. He no. Actually, he, he his next album was uh, two years later. Oh. Okay. Um. And photo. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Called uh, Help Yourself. Um. This had a one big hit in the UK. Oh. <laughs> and it was a number one hit in. Uh, um, I think Australia. I think Australia is somewhere like that. But uh, this song is exactly what I was talking about. About um, how he uh, he starts to write like things that are more about life and philosophical, philosophical, and um, it's it's. Uh, uh, we make fun a lot of uh, Paul for getting into uh, a sort of like don't eat meat or save the yeah. environment, cosmically conscious, mm-hmm. uh, that type of song. This is of that uh, vein, but it was made in England. Oh. <laughs> and it's called Saltwater.
rock revolving around the golden sun. We are a billion children rolled into one. So when I hear about the hole in the sky, salt water wells in my eyes. We climb the highest mountain. We'll make the desert bloom. We're so ingenious we can walk on the moon. But when I hear Well, I thought you were fooling me at first with Let me take you down Cause I'm going to <laughs> the Mellotron at the beginning on that one. But then he gets into the to something about forests dying and uh, salt water and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we're all yeah. a billion people rolling into one or something. I don't know what, <laughs> what's that all about. I can only say this. I, I really... It's, it's a dud. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to give Chris so much credit for getting through all of these Julian albums. I just have to keep saying that because I, I didn't. So, I, yeah. Yeah, this this album, I mean, it, 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 it was more successful of an album. Oh. It, Rolling Stone actually gave it four stars of, hmm. of five and, and thought it was great and uh, it did really well in the UK and, and I was I was kind of surprised because I quite honestly never heard of it before I started doing the research. Um, wow. Released in 1991. I mean, if you think about when it was released though, it was the same time as we're getting into grunge music yeah, and Pearl and, Jam and stuff like that coming. Yeah, so it's really not Nirvana, yeah. No, not not um uh I think in the US it was completely not fashionable. Yeah, yeah. Uh but uh the pr- production on it's a little bit better than the previous albums uh, Bob Ezrin uh was involved in it. He'd been involved with a lot of uh a lot of different groups over the years, so and supposedly, uh, if you believe Wikipedia, it says the album features uncredited guitar contributions from George Harrison. Yeah, I'm like, where? I, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't hear it on that track. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, then he disappeared for a while. Okay, okay. Um, and he came back in 1998 with an album called uh, Photograph Smile. And you, you actually listened to this one. Right? I did listen to this one. I don't. I think someone gave it to me free again. One of those things. Uh, the cover of the album was kind of striking because it has a, a picture of little Julian on it, and I think there were a couple of uh, singles off of it. The only tune that I remember uh, is a song called "I Don't Wanna Know," which uh, we'll play, and then I'll. I'll Say a few things and we can talk about it here. I don't want to know what's going on. I don't want to know what's right or wrong. I don't want to know whose bed you're in. I don't want to know just where you've been. Oh, baby, you were never really good for me. Just maybe. Stranger to reality And baby Don't you know you haven't got a So that was I Don't Wanna Know from Julian Lennon's Photograph Smile and I see what you think about it but that to me i think he just decided after taking some time off you know what i'm julian lennon i'm john lennon's son i'm gonna sound like him and i don't care anymore and my my songwriting sounds like a beatles song in some ways i'm gonna sing like my father and and you can listen to it or you don't listen to it yeah and and i give him credit for he just keeps uh i mean he did disappear again after that for a long time but he, he, you know, when he's in the mood to do it, he writes all of his songs. I mean, sometimes he co-writes them with people, but, you know, and uh, uh, that sounded, uh, you know, like, oh, here's a lively guy who's trying to play some music. And, uh, yeah. 
have a good know, time with it. Yeah. Have a good time with it. I don't know that any of these are like albums other than maybe Blot, which are albums that I'm like, oh, I'm gonna spin this again. No, I was saying, <laughs> uh, I was saying, uh, I think I sent a text to you, being like, I, I uh, listening to Julia Lennon on the bus doesn't make you feel very cool or anything <laughs> like that. So after Photograph Smile, uh, there's one more. Yeah, he uh, disappeared again. Yeah. Um, he, uh, would resurface basically, um, all the way in 2011, and, um, here he is in 2011, uh, with a, a full new release, and, uh, you know, you can, I, I would see, seek out some of the interviews with him, uh, from this period of, he's just like, I, I feel like he's really come to terms with his life and with. Uh, uh, his place in the whole Beatles thing and uh, with his relationship with his father. Um, this album is uh, lyrically <laughs> a little bit uh, trite. It has a lot of the things that we were talking about before about like like we play, the song we played at the beginning of the um, uh, uh, thing was uh, Looking for Love. But uh, uh, it's not spell. It's not looking for love like the way it sounds. It's <laughs> looking look, apostrophe number four. That's love, right. L U V. He must be a big fan of Prince. <laughs> um, and then you know, so there's it, it's alternately stuff like that, and then songs like "Touch the Sky" or "Invisible," um, mm-hmm. like. Uh, just stuff that's just generally, uh, uh, you know, a, a lyrically uh, uh, vague yeah. statement about life. And uh, 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 so we'll play one more real quick one here called uh, Disconnected. <laughs> and we'll, we'll jump to the chorus of this one so you can hear uh, the chorus of Yeah, that song is. uh, Well, I saw it says it's six minutes and fifty five seconds. So, and you made it through the whole thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I might. I might have skipped after. Might have skipped. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's a you could you could hear a little bit of that. It's it is this whole album's pretty musically interesting. But uh, uh, all of the musically interesting stuff is like throwback Beatle kind of referency type stuff. Yeah, that, that uh, cello, or you heard those strings right at the end of the chorus, that sounded like something out of I Am The Walrus, or uh, something Yeah, like exactly. That. It sounded like uh, the strings on Within You, Without You. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Something, yeah, psychedelic period like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, you know, he's not shying away from some of that stuff, but... Um, I think overall, it's a, it's a. I'm, I'm glad he's making. He is making music. I don't know that I'm. I connect with it that much. Yeah. I think other people do, though. I've read some um, things where uh, the Telegraph gave it like two stars and not a very good review, and and there was just a lot of comments like you don't understand him, blah blah oh. blah, that kind oh. of stuff. So I think there's a lot of people out there that really like Julian Lennon and his music. Yeah. Well. There you go. There's a bunch of tunes for you to check out. You can check out all of Julian's albums. There are five, I think we counted, uh, or six actually. So, Velot, Secret Value of Daydreaming, Mr. Jordan, Help Yourself, Photograph Smile, and Everything Changes. So, And at this rate, we'll get another album from him in 2041. Probably, no. yeah. When he's, <laughs> when he's turning 60, we'll get another <laughs> one out here. So, uh, we're going to go again chronologically, and the next. Beatles' son who's done anything musically is Zach Starkey. And Zach Starkey was born in 1965 to Ringo and his first wife, Maureen. And the thing about Zach is he's a drummer, just like his father, just like Ringo. 
But he doesn't sing. He's not a, a lead kind of guy or a songwriter. He's a drummer. I mean, you know, he plays in bands, and he's actually had a lot of fame because he's played in a couple of famous bands. And you want to, uh, you, you can talk about. It. I, I remember seeing him at the Super Bowl playing with a certain group of famous British musicians. Yeah, he uh, he is has been for a long time the at least touring. Uh, drummer for the Who. In fact, uh, we watched. Uh, if you if you watch the uh, Paul McCartney documentary, "The Love We Make," um, yeah. there it, that's all about the uh, concert for right after uh, uh, the Twin Towers went down in 2011, and and you can see Paul like pointing at the screen and being like. It's Ringo's son. <laughs> He's playing with the Who. He's doing amazing. Um, uh, so he played with the Who a lot um, on all of their tours, including uh, their mo- most recent Quadrophenia tour. Uh, so you can see him there. And he's also played a lot with another British band, Oasis, yeah. uh, which is a very Beatley band. <laughs> yeah, uh, funny how that works. <laughs> But uh, uh, I think Oasis is now officially not together. Uh, but um, um, yeah, he's he, and and he has done a lot of s- studio sessions now. Apparently, he di- he played he played a couple tracks with the Who, uh, but not, he did not play on their uh, album Endless Wire, which was their last uh, full studio release, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, he's a, he's a pretty uh, good session drummer. Yeah. <laughs> So you can look at you can watch look on clips on YouTube and you'll see plenty of Zach Starkey playing with the Who and uh, playing with Oasis and groups like that. So yeah, so he's had a pretty successful career without being in the spotlight. So uh, the next person up is another Lennon here, and that would be Sean Lennon, who was born in 1975 on John's birthday, actually October 9th. And he was born to John and Yoko. And he's had a couple of albums on his own, and he's also been a sideman and played with Yoko quite a bit as well. He plays with the... Yoko keeps doing albums that's Yoko and the Plastic Ono Band. Mm -hmm. And Sean is basically in charge of the Plastic Ono Band part of it. So they play some stuff there. He also played with the band called Sibio Mato. Uh, he played on a couple albums of theirs. Uh, he, he played on a couple Albert Hammond Jr. albums. <laughs> played with a group called The Ghost of a Sabretooth Tiger, which is a, more of a weird experimental type group. Um, and has done a lot of uh, film scores and, and also produced a whole lot of uh, <laughs> things. <laughs> um, and contributed to other people like Marianne Faithful's album. I would say he's been doing a little too much... <laughs> Because because I absolutely love his two uh, studio albums, Into the Sun uh, and from 1998 and Friendly Fire from 2006. Mm-hmm. I think they're fantastic albums. Let's play a little track from Into the Sun. We'll play the first song off the first album called Mystery Juice. And it's a really interesting song. She. That's a good album. I remember also hearing that album and thinking, I was expecting the same kind of thing like I heard from Julian, but very different. I think 
Julian got more of the John influence, and Sean got more of the Yoko influence, uh, especially as his career went on. He became more and more experimental. I, uh, but that, that song is pretty straight ahead, but some nice quirky things in it. it do you think, I don't, I don't think Sean sounds quite like John. His voice is more airy and reedy, kind of high, higher pitched. Yeah, he's sort of the more nasally John. John. Yeah. You know, he's a real nasally. And, and he is, I mean, you know, he, he has a lot of Yoko in him, too. Uh, there's, there's towards the end of Mystery Juice here, there's some bells and whistles and some, some <laughs> not exactly screaming or yelping, but uh, there's some of that. But I found the thing that struck me about this album was that musical, like, it was like, he does a lot of different musical styles. There's a couple. Yeah. Uh, Into the Sun, the title track, is a, a real sort of like uh, uh, bossa nova kind of it's thing. very uh, eclectic album. Yeah, there's a, a song called Part One of the Cowboy Trilogy, which is a really cool sounding kind of western, real short kind of western-y song. Yeah. And then there's a really, really great, very short song called Wasted. He has a lot of emotional depth to his music and a lot of pain and a lot of you know mm. uh but it's not just that there's another song called spaceship which is more urethral you know so yeah. I, I i think uh i i really enjoyed that album and i i was eager to hear his follow-up um which is called friendly fire now uh friendly fire came out in um 2004 oh i'm sorry 2006 and uh accompanying it was a, comp- a full film, oh. which you can you can find uh, online. You can probably just go to YouTube and find it. And uh, all of these, and, and they're in segments of. I mean, it follows the uh, uh, song, but uh, the actress Bijou Phillips is in it, and all of the films are really weird and interesting. There's one where he's on a uh, in a canoe. And he has to, I think he sees a mermaid or something, and he has to dive in after her and oh, all this stuff. Okay. It's crazy. <laughs> and there's uh, most of it set in, like, some sort of old-timey age or something. Like, <laughs> that like he's wearing cool. these ruffly kind of shirts. It's uh-huh. really weird, yeah. interesting, and fun. Um, but uh, on its own, the music is, is uh, great. And I'm going to play the uh, first song off this one, too which is Dead Meat, which is a uh, uh, really uh, a good song and has a great little uh, intro uh, mm-hmm. part here. Yeah, um, so, and, and it's interesting because Bijou Phillips did that um, film, and, and uh, the album was uh, about how uh, uh, Lennon uh, was, uh, how, had a tumultuous relationship with her, and she actually cheated on him with his best friend, uh, a guy named Max L- Leroy, but then uh, Max Leroy died in a motorcycle accident very shortly afterwards. Wow. Uh, before that, he and Lennon were uh, able to, you know, mend the relationship. Uh, so a, a lot of this, um, you know, there's a, a song called Wait For Me. There's a song called Friendly Fire. There's uh, another one called On Again, Off Again. And it's all about, I, I, the whole album is kind of about the whole, hmm. you know, uh, relationship between the three of them, I guess. Yeah, interesting. Wow. Well, I like that song. It was pretty catchy, and I'd like to hear more of it. I don't know that album. I only have the first one, but Sean's my favorite Beatle child because 
I met Sean. I had the good fortune to actually meet him when I was in New York City uh, attending a New York Philharmonic concert. And about I was watching Stravinsky's uh, Igor Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. And about halfway through the concert, I was looking around and I saw this guy with a complete gray suit and a hat on. <laughs> and, and I'm looking at him and he's got a beard and glasses and then I'm sort of like, who is this guy? And then we, he stands up and it's intermission. And so I look and that, I think, oh, that sure looks like Sean Lennon to me. So I kind of followed him around a little bit. It was, it was quasi-stalking just for a moment <laughs> just to make sure that it was him. And so then I thought, oh, God, this is pretty exciting here. And he's only like five, four or five rows ahead of me. So the concert ended, and I was standing outside, kind of walking around the hall, and all of a sudden he's there with a couple of friends. And I walk over, and I thought, all right, this is it. This is my chance, now or never. So I go up to him, and he looks at me, and I said, hi, Sean, I just want to say I'm sure you get annoyed with people coming up to you and talking about your father and all this stuff, but I just want to let you know I'm a music professor, and I teach your some of your music, and I teach a class on the Beatles, and it's it's a real honor to meet you. And so he was, like, extremely friendly, and we talked about modern music, we talked about uh, Stravinsky and the orchestra, we talked about th music theory, which is what I teach. Uh, we asked him what he was working on, he, he, was record he said he was recording something new. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> this was a couple years ago. I gave him my business card, which I never heard from, but... Uh, business card. He asked about the Beatles class. He told me that "I Want to Hold Your Hand" was a, one of the best songs ever written. He thinks, uh, and he, I asked, "Well, so did your dad read music?" And he said, "No, uh, but mother does." And I'm thinking, here I am talking to the son of John Lennon, and I'm talking about your dad. I feel like such an idiot. Uh, here it is. But yeah, we talked for about ten minutes or so about all sorts of things and. Uh, then he said, I gotta go, and shook my hand, and that was it. And then I walked out of the hall and was wandering around Lincoln Center for about 20 minutes calling everybody I could think of, <laughs> <laughs> saying, I just met Sean Lennon, I just met Sean Lennon. And so if, uh, if somehow Sean gets to hear this, I want to say thank you and uh, for being cool and, uh, and talking to me about music. And I think that's maybe why he was nice to me, because I didn't just go up and say, I really love your father's music. Uh, yeah, I, he. I knew he's a smart guy and a talented musician. So, as you heard from the songs we just played, so it was a very big highlight and as close as I'll ever get to meeting a Beatles. So, I'm always yeah. interested in whatever Sean's up to. Yeah, it's great. I and I, I really like both those albums. I, yeah. I, I, when you said he's recording something new, I was like, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, pretty exciting stuff. So, Sean's still very active and still doing things. Uh, as is the next. Beatle child, uh, which, if we're, again we're going in order here, would be James McCartney, who was born in 1977. And, it, you know, it is pretty scary when you look at all the Beatle children, how closely they resemble their fathers. I mean, Sean, Julian, Zach Starkey, and especially James McCartney. Uh, looks very much like Paul, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, James has recorded two... EPs, which I thought we got rid of those in the 60s, but I guess they're still out, and so he has recorded a couple of EPs with four songs, five songs apiece. Uh, we wanted to play a clip from a song called Glisten that's on the first one. He has another famous, more famous one called Angel that he performed with David Letterman and uh, Conan O'Brien and people like that, but uh, what do you think of, of what you've heard of James McCartney? Um, it's, it's sort of a grab bag. There's some stuff that I'm like, Glisten I particularly thought was uh, good. Angel's kind of like, eh, really? Mm. Um, and then there's some other ones, like, very strange. There's one called Fallen Angel off his second one that starts so great, and I'm like, wow, his piano's great, and he's playing piano, and I'm like, oh, he's multi-talented like his father. And, oh, and then it goes into this bizarro chord change. I'm like, what the heck? What are you doing? What is this? Well, you don't understand music, do you? No. I, no. <laughs> so, But Glisten's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll give it a listen. Yeah, let's listen to it.
was Glisten by James McCartney, who to me really doesn't sound at all like Paul. Uh, even I, though Paul's influence, Paul actually, he actually does work with Paul, his father, quite a bit. Uh, they, Paul rec- uh, produced one of the EPs and was and has played on some of the songs. So, but it doesn't sound like Paul to me. Yeah, he looks uh, uh, insanely <laughs> like Paul. Uh, he kind of looks like a puffed up sort of. Yeah, I mean, he is he is a little heavier than Paul. Yeah, um, his hair looks. He's, he has a very very receding sort of hairline. But also kind of like long hair. It's like it, kind of strange looking. Yeah. Um, um, and I think that that hurts him because mm. in comparison, you're like, oh, he looks, oh, look, it's Paul, but it's not. It yeah. sounds different. Yeah. And I think maybe he shouldn't be working with his father because <laughs> his father's giving him advice like just release EPs and yeah. do. I don't get what he's doing, really. Like make a full album, then we'll, then we'll judge you. Right. You know? Right, exactly. So... And, um, and James yeah. actually did play with, on a couple of McCartney albums. He played first on Press to Play in 1986. He he spoke a few words. I don't think he actually played because he was just a kid, but he had yeah. a few lines in a song. And then a couple of other examples of him playing guitar. We talked about one. It was on our underrated McCartney show. Uh, it's one of Chris's uh, favorite underrated tunes, Heaven on a Sunday. They yeah. they have a guitar duel, quote-unquote, uh, 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 Paul wins the duel, <laughs> hands down. Yes, he does. And then he also played a few years later on the Driving Rain album. Yes, which we'll talk about on our Agree to Disagree. Yes, yes, yes exactly. And he also so. played on Wide Prairie by uh, Linda. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, there's James. I think. I mean, he's it's sort of a budding career, and he he's already. 35 i think so it's a little bit late to start a rock career but we'll see we'll see see how it goes and you know he got you might remember he got in a little trouble a couple months ago when he said that there's somebody some reporter asked him oh are you friends with the other beetle kids and he said oh yeah we have you ever played together oh yeah we've played together would you like to form a band or something? Oh, I'd think about it. Yeah, we've talked about it. And then he he had to backtrack that one and say, yeah. "Oh, I was just saying we were we've played together before. That's it." Yeah, he might have been sort of half joking, like, "Oh yeah, we'll make a Beatles two or whatever." Yeah, right, right. And then of course you can't say that because no. yeah, it's just going to be like Beatles two <laughs> coming out soon. <laughs> or coming soon. It's like, ah, oh, come on. Yeah. So that's James McCartney, and then the final. Well, yeah, the yeah. the final uh, Beatle child who has done who has a music career is Danny Harrison, born in 1978. Yeah, Danny has in a band called the New Number Two. He's the leader of the band. It's an alternative rock band, and um, they have two major releases: uh, "You Are Here" and "The Fear of Missing Out," uh, 2008 and 2012 just released, yep. and a couple of EPs mixed in there, too. Um, and I think uh, uh, this, I'm very excited now that we dug into this music to really keep listening to um, the new number two, and to his other band, Fistful of Mercy. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, first, let's hear from the new number two from uh, the album You Are Here, and uh, this song, Another John Doe. Falling 
that's really great stuff. Uh, he again, I don't think he really sounds like George very much. He looks scarily like George, though. And if you ever saw the concert for George that was done a year after George died, everybody commented on how much he looked like him. But I like da- uh, Danny's music because he's also going a different direction, kind of like like Sean is too. It doesn't. You can tell some maybe some influences from Beatles or George, but it's still it's much more contemporary sounding and experimental and takes in influences from more contemporary groups and things. So uh, I like it. It's got a different sound. Yeah, I think the uh, more recent album, the 2012 one, we're not going to play anything from it, but um, is is even more like pushing the boundaries and um, um, there there's. Uh, uh, you know, they sort of are mixing up their sound a little bit, but it yeah. still sounds like they're the same band. And um, so pretty experimental. I, I think uh, that's one to definitely uh, give a give a listen to if if you... I, I don't have it. <laughs> I would give it, <laughs> give it a listen, but I'm, I'm uh, planning on getting it. Uh, second studio album from the new number two, The Fear of Missing Out. And it's... They, they do a thing where... They spell all the letters all like it's all one right. sentence. Right. So, um, but um, he also did a se- a second project, a side project, and uh, recently this was called like one of the better side projects, uh, one of the best side projects of 2010. I didn't know they ranked that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Who ranks that sort of stuff? <laughs> it says by NPR. Oh, okay. and it's a band <laughs> called Fistful of Mercy. We'll go out with this one. Um, uh, uh, we'll play a track at the end of the episode, um, and it's a it's a uh, uh, band with featuring a the singer Ben Harper and uh, another guy Joseph Arthur, who's another solo artist, and they came together and uh, played an album. and And uh, a lot of these tracks are used. If you watch the show Parenthood, they were sort of featured in one of the episodes of Parenthood, um, and I really like it. I I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I- I think also, kind of like Jacob Dylan, I think Danny Harrison may have a better chance at more success because he's not, I mean, people know who he is and you, you know, you know who he, that he's Danny Harrison, but he kind of uh, goes undercover in the group a little bit and can still be the driving force and the person behind it, but he's not a, a front person like Julian or James McCartney or people like that, so... Uh, I, yeah, I, he's yeah. yeah he's not putting himself out there as a solo artist. No, no. in a band that's right. a legitimate band, and his side project there it's like three people, not one. Yeah, he 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 even uh, compared it a little bit to oh, it's like traveling my my traveling Wilburys. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, nice, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think uh, he's got a very uh, uh, promising career ahead of him. Yeah. Definitely. And you know he's the youngest of the of the people, so he's got the most uh, music ahead of him. So yeah. let's let's hope to hear more from him, and we'll hear a track here at the end of the episode. But we wanted to mention someone we <laughs> haven't well, mentioned, yeah, who's well, probably the most successful Beatle uh, child. That's the that's the good question here. I mean, we've talked about all these uh, guys, all the the Beatle boys who had have musical careers and have had varying degrees of success. But, yeah, as you say, probably the most successful Beatle child was a girl, and you can go buy her stuff in uh, Beverly Hills and London and all around the world, and that would be Stella McCartney. Yeah, she um, is a fashion designer, uh, um, and, it would be, and she, she too, is a, 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 just like her parents, a sort of environmentalist. Yeah. And part of uh, her fashion design and stuff is that she makes sure that it's sort of like environmentally friendly clothing. And she also has, uh, so you can, I mean, if you watch the Oscars or or, uh, I was watching the Emmys the other day and somebody was like, who are you wearing? And they said (laughs) Stella McCartney. Wow. You know, they're wearing wearing, uh, dresses. So she, she makes fancier dresses, fancier outfits. But she also, there's a Stella McCartney for kids. 
There's Adidas by Stella McCartney. <laughs> and I bought a Stella McCartney perfume for my girlfriend uh, oh, a wow. couple years ago. So that was... How much did that set you back? <laughs> yeah. And uh, they say she has a skincare... <laughs> well, it, was, wow. it wasn't wow. too bad. Uh, <laughs> there's a, a, a skincare line launched in 2007. There's a new lingerie line. Hmm. Uh, uh, wow, yeah, uh, pretty busy. Uh, so there's lots of uh, uh, Stella McCartney stuff, and uh, you know she's a uh, uh, and she's somewhat of a celebrity. I mean, she's yeah. out there a lot oh, yeah. and mingling. She's friends with uh, a lot of people like Annie Lennox and Gwyneth Paltrow and people like yeah. that. So, yeah, and apart from Stella, her sister Mary is also a, a professional photographer, like her mother, like Linda was. And has taken pictures of people like Tony Blair and Jude Law and, of course, Paul. And she's now the head of photographs of McCartney Productions Limited. So she does things like that with her father. So uh, yeah. it's pretty amazing, actually. You look, you know, a lot of celebrity kids really have awful lives or just can't get out of their father or their mother's shadows. But I think you look at the Beatle children overall. Uh, they've done pretty well for the most part. No real scandals, or you don't hear anything crazy happening about them. They all seem like they were raised pretty well. Yeah, and uh, uh, particularly like I mean, when I think about Stella McCartney, how successful she's been. Yeah, not doing not, and that was one thing we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Completely not following in her father's footsteps. Not really following in her mother's yeah. footsteps. Maybe taking some influence from them. Of, how they care about the environment and that kind of stuff, but basically doing our own thing. You know? Yeah. And just being, you know, um, just being a, a, a self-made woman, kind of, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I, a lot of people would be like, eh, well, she, you know. Her, her last name so, helps. Yeah, if yeah, her father wasn't so rich, she, <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. Yeah. So, you got to have some talent, even if you have a famous last name, you still have to do something with your life and have an idea. So, yeah, well, we hope you've uh, enjoyed this little tour of the Beatle sibling or Beatle offspring. And yep. give it'll a- prepare you for Beatles 2 tour yep. coming yeah. 2013. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we'll go out with the uh, group name title track, I guess. <laughs> Uh, from uh, the side project from uh, Danny Harrison, Fistful of Mercy. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Maybe it's soft inside of Fistful of Mercy. Maybe it comes from where we are, the land of the thirsty. Oh